know, I heard a story about this guy who was um, to be a, a keynote speaker um, at this event that was happening. And, um, you know, he kind of lost track of time. And he was running late to get to where he was supposed to be. So he was in this huge hurry to get to the venue. Um, that when, by the time he arrived and he sat down at the table... Uh, he suddenly realized that he had left something that was really important uh, back in his room, and it was his dentures. Turning to the man next to him, he whispered, Hey, I forgot my teeth. Which I'm not really sure like how that goes, right? I mean, like, if I was sitting down and somebody you know, leaned over to me and said, Hey, I forgot my teeth, I'd have been like, Okay, <clears throat> you know. Uh, the man said, no problem. With that, he reached into his briefcase. Okay, He pulled out a pair of dentures and he said, try these. And the speaker took the dentures, he put them in his mouth and he said, ah, these are too loose. You know, they're, they're not going to fit right. So he took the dentures out and the guy, unfazed by that, he says, all right, no, no problem. He dug back around in his, tooth, in his briefcase, which I don't know about you, but that is a... Very scary proposition considering the fact that anytime I pull something out of my briefcase, who knows what comes out with it? You know, lint and all kinds of stuff that's whatever, okay? He pulls out a pair of dentures and he hands them to the speaker and he says, try these. And he puts those in his mouth and he says, nope, those are, these are too tight. I can't wear those either. Again, unfazed, okay? And not taking him back at all, he dug around in his briefcase again. He pulls out a third pair and he says, here, um, I have this pair. Why don't you give them a try? The speaker smiled. He put them in his mouth. He said they fit perfectly. And um, he began to, it was kind of like the pre-meal type thing before he spoke. He ate his meal and then gave his speech without any further trouble. After the event concluded... The speaker went over to um, the guy he was sitting next to who would let him borrow the dentures. And he said, hey, man, I want to thank you for coming to my rescue. Um, Where is your office? Because I have been looking for a good dentist in the area. And the guy replied, oh, he says, I'm not a dentist, uh, but I am the local funeral director. Yeah, that's bad news. Anyways. Uh-huh. So we're gonna what we're gonna do over the next um, several weeks. I had kind of talked about this last week. We were talking about ten questions, um, the ten most asked questions, uh, the ten most asked questions about God, and 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 so we're gonna be taking a look at these. And really, for the most part, these things kind of go in chronological order throughout the Bible, and so we'll. You know, you see the first question up here is life an accident or am I here on purpose? We go through things like, uh, is heaven and hell real? Um, why can't I, um, why can't I, uh, why can't I have my own way? Um, why can't, uh, isn't, um, isn't believing that there's only one way to God narrow-minded? Um, you know, so it goes through all, a lot of different questions. The top 10 most asked questions about God um, it, kind of in our culture today. 
And so we're going to be taking a look at these. And, and like I would say, I think that these things really hit on some really important aspects of our faith. Most of you in here probably have a good grasp on some of these kinds of things. So there are maybe a lot of us here that are asking deep you know, questions about God. But what I can say is this, is that even if you have a good, firm foundation about why you believe what you believe, or, 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 or maybe you're not the kind of person that just asks questions, what happens when your kids start asking questions, or you, you have a coworker that starts asking questions, or you're helping out in children's ministry, or youth ministry, or, or back there with the kids, and, and they start asking these questions? Will you know how to, you know, do you know how to respond? And answer these questions to people because I'm going to tell you this. I think that it doesn't matter where we are um, in our journey. At some point in our life, we've probably asked all ten of these questions. Now, maybe maybe these questions were answered before we ever really asked them. Or maybe we just had faith in God. And so then when we asked them, maybe we didn't know how to answer the question. But it was just like, well, I just, you know, God is good and he loves me and everything's going to be all right. Right? Some people can live like that. Some people are fine being that way. And, and it's just like with the disciples. You know, you're, you're, you're going to have those guys that are like Thomas, right? And they're just going to be a little bit more skeptical. They're going to ask a little bit more questions. They're just going to wonder a little bit more. It's, you know, Thomas was, you know, like the, the doubting Thomas, right? And, and it's because when everybody else, Jesus was resurrected, it's like, did he really? I mean, come on, guys. You know, and it wasn't until Jesus showed up with his, you know, with holes in his hands and Thomas was like, oh, it was you. Okay, so there's always going to be people that ask questions more than another. Maybe you're the question asker, maybe you're not. Um, But if you're not, um, it's good for you to know the answers and how to respond to those answers so that you can give them if you run into somebody who is a questioner. All right. And so today we're going to be looking at this question, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Okay, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Um, I think one of life's greatest questions that we all ask ourselves in one way or, or another, what on earth am I doing here? You know, when you wake up every day and you repeat what you did yesterday, when you find yourself caught up in a rat race and... You know, you ever feel like that sometimes, that every day it's wash, rinse, repeat, you know, over and over and over again. You wake up, you do this, you go to work, you spend this much time, and and over and over and over again, you have this stuff, this cycle in your life. You build this routine, and and you begin to kind of wonder sometimes, like, is this all life is cracked up to be, to go do this, to, to... what is my purpose here on earth? Is it, is it more than just the sum of my days of waking up, going to work, going home, waking up, going to work, going home? All of these things over and over again. What on earth am I doing here? What is the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? Am I just another one in seven billion people on this earth? Why does life really matter? What is any of life really matter? Why does any of life really matter? Okay, all of these kinds of questions fall under the same category. Am I an accident or do, am I here on purpose? What is the purpose of my life? Most of the time, we may not have the answers to these questions, but we kind of shrug them off and go on. But to really find the answer to this question 
it, to really kind of maybe hone in the answer to the, you know, am I an accident? Is life an accident? Or am I here on purpose? You've got to define your worldview. Right? And one of the things that we're not going to be able to do today is talk about all the different worldviews that exist out there in the world. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to break them up into two categories. And really, because every religious uh, group, every religious group that exists out there has a different worldview. All right? So your, your whole perspective on uh, is life an accident or do I have purpose um, is largely dependent upon the worldview that you have, whether it's a humanistic worldview, an atheistic worldview, an agnostic worldview, a Christian worldview, a Hindu worldview, a Muslim worldview, whatever, whatever it is that shapes your worldview. And this is the reason why we can't go through every worldview and talk about every worldview that exists out there. But we can talk about two that really kind of summarize and put things into certain categories in particular. And so... In, 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 in deciding this, okay, in looking at this, you have these two worldviews, the belief that God does not exist and we are a byproduct of evolutionary theory or some other explanation for how we get to where we are today, okay, or belief that God does exist and is manifest in the Christian version, the Christian worldview or what would be known as creationism. Now, to be quite honest, if you understand anything about evolutionary theory and creationism, there's actually four different worldviews as to what people believe about, um, you, know, um, you know, the beginning, how, how, how we began. You know, you have you know, general evolutionary theory, then you have, um, um, you know, um, the, the uh, creationism worldview, or you have creationist evolution um, where they, they believe uh, in the, they, like, for example, they believe in the, um, the old earth theory, okay? So, in, in other words, that the seven days mentioned in Genesis don't actually mean seven days. They actually mean probably millions, if not billions of years. And they try to merge science and um, in the Bible together. Um, and then you have another where it's like this age gap worldview that's kind of a form of more evolutionary theory with a little bit of Christian doctrine mixed in. Well, we're going we're gonna to not get into all of that kind of stuff here today. And just talking about these, the belief that God does not exist and we are a byproduct of evolutionary theory and the belief that God does exist and is manifest in the Christian version of the Christian account of the Bible. All right. So one of the first things that we must do in talking about this thing is talking about the issue of faith. All right. One of the common misconceptions about um, saying you know, how did we get to where we are? Okay, because again, we're, listen, we're talking about is life an accident or am I here on purpose? And in order to answer that question, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of the Bible, where the Bible describes the way that God created us, the way that God made us, that there was a specific design that God had in mind when he went about making Adam and Eve. But if you don't believe in all of that, then then you have to come up with a different aspect. And so when you talk about this issue of faith, this issue of evolutionary theory versus creationism, it's constantly brought up that either you believe the Bible by faith or you believe evolution according to science. Okay? That there's this constant struggle of science versus faith. 
Which one do you believe? It's one of the reasons why you've had the Christian worldview merge with the atheistic worldview, where you have these Christian evolutionary theories where they've tried to take science and say, how can I explain what science is telling us with what the Bible has already said? Because I believe the Bible is true. And that's where you get this old earth mentality of, uh, of how everything came into being. All right. But so this is this constant idea that if you believe evolution, then you believe science. And if you believe the Bible, then you just blindly believe something by faith. But the fact of the matter is, okay, um, if you believe anything, okay, as a matter of fact, anything that you believe, all right, requires faith for you to believe it. If you believe in evolution, okay, then you have to understand that you still have to have faith to believe it. And that's where I want to, let's break down science for a second. When you talk about science, and again, this is not, we're not trying to have science class, but this kind of helps us define what it is that we're talking about this morning. Science can be broken down into two different kinds of science. One is observational science and one is historical science, all right? Most of the time when people talk about science, they talk about observational science, things that you can test and things that you can observe. That's what observational science is, and that's what most of science is supposed to be. It's something that you test, and it's something that you deserve, so, uh, observe. So over an extended period of time, you have observed this, or you have tested this, and you have seen this, all that kind of stuff. But there's another kind of science, and that's called historical science, all right? And most of the people, if you talk to people in the science community, especially the non-God version of the science community, they will reject the idea that there's two different kinds of science saying that it's all the same thing. But in reality, it is not. Okay? Observational science is what can be tested and observed. Historical science is what deductions can be made about our past. All right? Um, so, for example, okay, historical science... How can an evolutionist or a scientist say that the earth is billions of years old? Because it can't be tested and it cannot be observed. Right? It cannot be tested and it cannot be observed. But everything that you watch on TV, everything that you've learned in school tells you that the earth is millions, if not billions of years old. Okay? They tell you this and they tell you this. They, they say it that it is a fact. But how can it be a fact when it cannot be tested and it cannot be observed? Nobody was there billions of years ago writing it down as it happened. There's no logs, there's no journals explaining things that happened. For example, okay, um, dinosaurs. Hey, it, it's a, okay, dinosaurs are biblical. It's in the Bible. There's a perfect explanation for dinosaurs in the Bible, all right? Some people try to act like the the. The evidence that dinosaurs exist somehow disproves the Bible. But there's, the Bible actually talks about dinosaurs on a couple occasions. There's this perfect explanation for how they existed. And we know that they do, did because we have, um, you know, we have skeletons and bones and stuff like that, right? right? But when you watch, like, say, Jurassic Park for a second, all right, and you see the dinosaur running around, how do we know that that dinosaur looked like that? How does the scientist know that the dinosaur looked like that? There's no way. Now, they may know the skeletal structure of that dinosaur because we got skeletons. Everything else is a guess. Everything else is them 
guessing what they think that that dinosaur looked like, you know, based upon maybe what they observe in nature right now. But it's still a guess because there was nobody there to observe it when it happened. At least, you know, so there, we may have some drawings in the caves that gives us maybe an outline or something like that. But you can't say that you know for sure the color of their skin or different things like that. Even for them to go as far as saying that because they had sharp teeth, they were carnivores. We don't even know that. Because there are animals that live today that have sharp teeth that are herbivores. All right. So there are things about science in the past where they are guessing. And guess what? Guess what guessing means? That they have to have faith to believe that it happened that way. Even the idea of the Big Bang Theory is a guess. All right? And for them to believe that that's the way the beginning of the earth happened means that they have to have faith to believe that that's the way it happened. So it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. You have to have faith. Okay? You have to have faith. It requires faith to believe in evolution. It requires faith to believe the Bible. So let's just say for a second, um, millions of years ago, there was these chemicals that began to form and began to bond, these amino acids that kind of randomly formed together and they began to come together and begin to join together and they began to create and form structure and metals uh, all, all over the galaxy that, that kind of grew and appeared from you know, random cells joining, began to merge and began to come together over the course of millions of years. You know, one of the things that evolutionists would say that given enough time, anything is possible. This is actually one of the one of the great explanations for evolutionary theory. If you just give it enough time, anything's possible. <laughs> Which is, whew, okay. I mean, you want to talk about faith, right? Okay. It's, so these metals begin to join together, and over the course of hundreds of thousands, they begin to form, and they begin to create cylinders, and they begin to create curves, and. And they formed into, you know, mufflers and bumpers. And then some rubber began to form and move and, and join together and create into wheels. And then these, these glass fragments begin to unite together and join. All right, you see where I'm going, right? And it would be an insult to your intelligence to say that over millions and billions of years, atoms and amino acids and, um, and metals randomly formed and made together a car... Okay, that would be kind of like an insult to your intelligence. But what evolutionary theory says that um, that humans and animals, which are far more complex beings than cars, did exactly what I just said did. That somehow over the course of nature, and one of the things that we see in nature is things things get progressively worse. Things don't get better. Things get worse. But somehow evolutionary theory says that things happen backwards, that, it, that it's something that is, um, we have progressively gotten stronger and better throughout the course of nature, throughout the course of thousands of years. It would be an insult to your intelligence to, to try to manipulate the system, to say that maybe this Bible over the course of millions of years, that paper just kind of united and words, black ink just kind of formed itself into letters. And yet my human body is far more complex than this book 
But we would think it's ridiculous that this book could form itself all by itself over the course of millions and billions of years. But you have to have faith to believe that something like that happened. So for me, one of the things that I would say, um, when, when, when you talk about just reasoning and faith, um, I think that sometimes when you think about stuff, you want to take the shortest leap, right? Not the, not the largest leap. It's the shortest leap. It's kind of like if I walked outside my house onto the street corner and I saw, you know, some glass and broken taillights and, and maybe, you know, a, a mirror and, um, you know, a, a car or something laying there. There, there, are three, there are three assumptions that I can make, right? There are three things that I could, I could assume that happened. Number one, there was an accident that happened outside my house and left all that stuff there on the ground. Number two, there was a tow truck who was carrying a car from an accident who happened to be come by there and hit a pothole and a bunch of stuff fell off onto the ground and left it there. Or number three, the aliens came and got all of that stuff and put it on the ground right there outside my house to make it look like, you know, there was an accident. Now, the truth be known is this, is that I cannot prove that aliens exist and I cannot, appro- uh, I cannot prove that they do not exist. So, in... It, to be quite honest, anyone could rationally say that, that all three of those things could be explanations to how those things got to where they are. But for me, I'm going to take the shortest leap, right? I'm going to take the shortest leap of faith and say, you know what? It had to have been an accident that happened here because that's the most reasonable explanation for how this got where it is, right? Okay? And so that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the difference versus evolutionary theory okay, versus creationism. We're going to take, believe the shortest leap of faith. The accident happened here. The same way we talk about our worldview and our belief. How did we get here? How did all of this get here? How did all of the world get here? How did all of mankind, all of humanity, and all the things that we have, and the intelligence, and the, just the way that, our, that our, our mind works, and our eyes are able to process images and music through our ears, and our brain is able to you know, receive all of that, and, and, and it can be pleasing to us, and, and, and the way that our, our bodies work and function with the organs, and all of it works and functions together, How did all of that happen? I could either believe that it happened by random processes throughout the course of millions and billions of years, or I could believe it sure does look like there is an intelligent design, which means that there should be an intelligent designer. And to me, believing that there's an intelligent designer is the shortest leap of faith. It's the one that makes the most logical sense. Right? Just thinking from a logical standpoint. Right? Now, if, if you... And here's where the real problem is. Right? Here's where the real problem lies in our culture today. If you have to say that God does not exist, then you have to have an explanation for how we got here. And if you have to have an explanation, the only viable one that we have right now is evolutionary theory. So we live in a culture right now. We live in a society... So, for example, public school, okay, where they have said, you know what, we cannot teach religion in public school, therefore God cannot be in public school, and if we're going to teach our children how we all got here, we have to do it in a way that doesn't include God. And the only way to do that is to teach evolutionary theory. So it doesn't, 
It's not a sign that it is fact, that it is the only belief system with, with a logical explanation for how we got here. It is a sign that what we've said is, if we can explain our existence without God, we're going to go ahead and do it. So what you do is you create, you create the answer okay, before you go through the process. You say, um, I believe that there is no God, now let me interpret the evidence. Okay? All, all scientists are looking at the same evidence. All scientists. The creationist scientists, the evolutionary theory scientists, all science looks at the same evidence. It's how they interpret the evidence that's the difference. We all see the same Grand Canyon. It's how we interpret what happened to the Grand Canyon that makes a difference. All right? Evolutionary theory does not have more evidence to prove their theory than, than creationism. They all have the same amount of evidence. Right? And they both require faith. Right? They both require faith. So if I'm going to take the shortest leap of faith and say it looks like that there's an intelligent design in the universe, I'm going to believe that there's an intelligent designer, okay? that there is a purpose, that there is something that God made us for a reason, all right? then I'm going to step in that direction. And if I step in that direction, then I have this, this thing called the Bible, right? Called the Bible. Now, skeptics are point out that the Bible does not prove God's existence, God's existence. And that's true. The Bible doesn't prove that God exists. Okay? The Bible is written under the assumption that God exists. Right? But it doesn't prove that God exists. Okay? And I cannot prove to you that God exists. But I can tell you this, that the atheist cannot prove to you that God doesn't exist. You see what I'm saying? They cannot tell you with absolute certainty with evidence that God does not exist. And I cannot tell you with evidence, okay, other than maybe natural reasoning or a little um, apologetics, right? Where you talk about like how we all got here in intelligent design and moral law. You can go into all of those arguments. Where does morality come from? If there's a law, there has to be a lawgiver. If we all understand that murder and, and thieving and lying is wrong, in other words, we wouldn't want anybody to do it to us because we believe it's wrong, okay? Then who, who, who put that in us, all right? Because it's not in a natural world, okay? It doesn't exist in apes and monkeys. Monkeys in them, they don't think that stealing's wrong. They're going to do it anyways, okay? There's not, they don't have a court of law, okay, that, or anything like that. So if we all have the, this... How did we get, so there's all kinds of ways to use reasoning to deduct that God exists. But if you want to just talk about evidence, I don't have evidence, but neither do they, right? <clears throat> neither do they. So again, we go back to the issue of faith. They both require faith. One uses his faith to believe that God has exist, that he created everything, that he's in control. And another uses his faith to believe that God does not exist, that we're a process of, of random you know, cells joining together and over the course of millions and billions of years. And, and let's, let's be honest, if to believe in faith that it's all random, it's all just some a process of millions and billions of years, then what is the purpose of life? If we're an accident, if we're an accident, if we're an accident in nature, if it's just random processes that has put us to where we are today, then what is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of every life? 
Now, maybe you could come with someone like, well, it's to be good to nature and to treat Mother Earth, you know, and, and to be good stewards of, and, and you could go on and kind of create some purpose, but in the reality, there's no, nothing set that defines your purpose or your place in this earth other than what you set it and define it for. So while you may have noble causes that you define your purpose for, somebody else may have, uh, you know, um, unnoble causes, you know, immoral causes to say, this is the purpose of my life. You know, I'm going to control the earth. I'm going to control the world. I'm going to control people. I'm going to manipulate people. I'm going right. to, so you, you kind of become the person that defines your own destiny, defines your own morality, defines your own importance in your life. So I cannot prove that God exists. However, the most intelligent atheist cannot prove that God does not exist either. And so this puts us back to faith. You see, the Bible, in looking at the Bible, the Bible is a very complex book that tells one big story in two sections, right? It tells one big story in two sections. At some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a graphic up here. It's a, it's a pyramid. And on one side of the pyramid, you have the Old Testament. On the other side of the pyramid, you have the New Testament. And if you'll look at them, Okay, if you'll look at the way the Bible is written, they actually mirror each other. Okay, the Old Testament side and the New Testament side, they mirror each other. And it, and it goes progressively like this. All right, and you have this progression through the Old Testament. It's telling the story. It peaks with Jesus Christ. And then in the New Testament, it flips back over and it goes along the same progression. All right, it tells this big story. Now, what is the story? Okay, in the Old Testament, it starts out, God and righteous people in paradise. Right? So God created Adam and Eve and they lived in paradise together. All right? Then Satan entered and sin entered. Satan and sin entered into the world. Then the world was judged and destroyed okay, through the flood. Then there was a one world government at the Tower of Babel where the people joined together and said, we're all going to do this together. We'll build this big tower and, and all this kind of, and God separated the people. And then there was the old covenant. And that goes all the way basically from the end of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament all the way to where you get to Jesus, who is the top of the pyramid. And from that, things shifted, all right? And it shifted back over to this side where you have the new covenant. Then you get into the book of Revelation where you have the one world government. The world is judged and destroyed. Satan and sin exit. And God and righteous people in paradise, all right? And it tells the same story. You have the progression of, of, of the way the world went like this, peaking with Jesus, and then it flips back over and does the exact same story on the other side. And it tells us the story of, of, of right and wrong and morality and all of these kinds of things and telling us how to live. And obviously, so we find ourselves right now living in the midst of the new covenant. Some people would say, hey, we're getting really close to that one. Man, we're getting really close to the rapture. We're getting really you know, as they've been saying, you know, gosh, <clears throat> for as long as I can remember back in the 90s, you know, better hold on because Jesus is coming soon. <clears throat> right. How, how many have heard that all your life? <laughs> right. So even people in here older than me, you say all the way back when I was a kid, everybody's saying Jesus is coming soon. All right. They were probably saying it back when the disciples were like, hey, Jesus is coming soon. You know, like after he died and rose, like, hey, Jesus is coming back. Y'all better get your lives right. <clears throat> And, and, and so it is true, the, 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 the truth is that we don't know the day or the hour, any of that kind of stuff, but there are signs, 
there are things that we can learn from. When you read the Bible, you can see that there are signs that are going to be happening in the earth, things that are going to be taking place. We see, you can say we see some of those signs now, okay? But whether or not uh, it's to the degree that Jesus was talking about, we don't really know. And we're not really getting into rapture stuff and end, end time stuff today anyways. But right now, we're living in that new covenant era, that new covenant time where, where, where we've kind of picked the corner and Jesus has died. And now we're 2,000 years you know, past that particular day and past that particular moment. And we see that this, this moment, this moment of time that we are in and God has orchestrated all of this. He orchestrated and he's laid it out in this book so that we can know, okay, we can know how the beginning began. What happened in the beginning when God looked at everything and saw that there was nothing and he created everything out of nothing as a spoke and all these things came into existence and then he took, you know, the dust of the earth and he formed a man and he made man and he gave a purpose and he gave him a mission and he gave him a plan and something to do with his life. And then he said, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a woman. I'm going to bring her to be a helpmate to him so they can join together and they could be, you know, even more. More powerful and even more strong together. And, and he gave them purpose. He gave them a mission on the earth. What did he say? He said, go and multiply, be fruitful and subdue the earth. When God created man, this is what he told him. He said, be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. Okay. God's, God's command to Adam and Eve on that day when he created them is no different than the command he gives to us. Okay? And that God still wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. Probably with babies too. But in, there's another a- aspect of that right now that we know in the new covenant that we're supposed to be fruitful in our life. That we're supposed to be you know, um, producing fruit in our life. And, and, and we're supposed to be multiplying from a spiritual perspective. We're supposed to be going out and reaching the lost and being fruitful and multiplying into the kingdom of God. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Rob, if you'll go ahead and come. Subdue the earth. That God's, you know, right? Jesus, what did Jesus say? You know, in ushering in the new covenant, he says, pray what? He says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our, our, our mission on earth, okay, hasn't changed much has changed slightly in the sense that it's not so much about now fulfilling the earth with people, right, and subduing the earth, but it's it's advancing the kingdom of God and bringing the people on the earth into the kingdom of God, multiplying ourselves in the lives of people, reaching people, going into the earth and making disciples. All of these things are things that that Jesus God has given us now. And what this does is this gives us an understanding. This whole story of God in the Bible gives us an understanding of the big picture and the big plan of God. That God has a plan. That He has a purpose. Okay? That you're not just one in seven billion. All right? And, 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 and just like, what does my life really matter? Why am I here? Am I an accident? Or, you know, all of these kinds of things. I mean, there, there may be some truth that you were an accident in the sense that your parents didn't plan to have you, but to God, you weren't an accident. 
There was a purpose and there was a plan and a reason why you were born and brought to this earth. You know, and Esther would say it was for such a time as this. That God has you here in Calera, Alabama, United States of America, part of Church on a Rock, for such a time as this. For a specific plan, a specific purpose that God wants to use you and do inside of you to make a difference in the kingdom of God and in Calera and Shelby County and in Alabama. When we, when we take that shortest leap of faith to step over to say, I believe that because there's an intelligent design, there's got to be a designer and he's made himself known through this thing called the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about whether or not we're an accident or whether or not there is a purpose for our life? In Psalms chapter 57, to it says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I cry, listen, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That he has a purpose for you. Come on, listen. If you have breath, as long as you have breath, as long as you have breath, you have a purpose that God has for you. There's a purpose. In Psalms 139, 13, it says, you, uh, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Come on. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. That God, that God formed you for the days. That he made you for every day, every moment that you have breath. Every day of your life, he fearfully and wonderfully made you for a purpose, for a reason. Jeremiah 1 5 it says this it says before I formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations obviously this is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah at the time but this is the word of the Lord to us today before you were formed in your mother's womb God says I knew you and I consecrated you and I set you apart, and I have appointed you. Come on, listen. God has appointed you. Maybe, maybe you're not the prophet. Maybe you are, and you just don't know it yet. But maybe he's appointed you the teacher. Maybe he's appointed you the pastor. Maybe he's appointed you the evangelist. Huh? Maybe he's appointed you the leader or the helper, okay, or the speaker or the greeter or the uh, or the children, whatever it is, okay. Maybe he's appointed you what he's appointed you something. Because before you were formed in your mother's womb, 
God already knew about you. He had already consecrated you. And He already appointed you saying, you will be my witness in all the earth. And this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do well. And the closer we get to Him, and the closer we unite to Him, the more we become connected to His plan and purposes for our life. And the more we become connected to His plans and purposes, the more we live out those purposes here on earth. And the more fulfilled we find ourselves in our lives. We're not an accident. It doesn't matter how many times somebody's told you that. You're not an accident. You're here with a purpose. You're here with a purpose. And there is a plan that God has for each and every one of us. Right? And when we stand before God, God will ask us what we did with the plan that he had for us. What did you do with the plan he has for you? Your plan, the plan that God has for you is different than the plan that God has for me. But what do you do with the plan that God has for you? Okay? You need to fulfill that plan. Will you stand to your feet this morning?